Hello, and welcome once again to another Wheels in Motion podcast presented by Car Logistics. My name is John Wilman. With me is Ted Boley, my esteemed counterpart and fellow sales manager with Carter. In today's episode, we'd like, we would like to address recent dynamics in the ocean transportation industry, specifically in regards to pier operations and congestion along the U.S. West Coast. Because this is a complex topic with a lot of moving parts, Ted and I have asked two of our colleagues from the Vantech Hitachi organization to join us in the discussion today as well. First, I'd like to introduce Ramesh Gunatelike. Ramesh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, thanks, John. Thanks for having me here. And Ted, thanks for having me, guys. It's, uh, it's good to be here. So, yeah, I, um, a little bit about me. I, uh, I was born, I grew up in, in Sri Lanka. And then I moved to the States, uh, 99, 2000, around there. And my first stage with the industry was I worked for, um, for Scanwell Freight, which is a Chinese, niche Chinese freight forward, a very strong uh, on the China-US trade lane. So I spent about, um, I guess, like nine years with them. Um, and then subsequently, I, I left them and I joined um, a larger, more global uh, organization Geod is uh, very much a company with the footprint in almost every every part of the world. So I spent uh, another nine years there. Um, so I had a good flavor of you know uh, a niche privately owned company to a, a very large organization, very corporate if you like. And then um, three years back, I joined Wantech um, Hitachi. Uh, so now I'm I'm the director of the GST, as we call it, the global sales team. Uh, so yeah, it's good to be here. I live in New Jersey, clo- right across uh, Manhattan here. So it's um, it's nice today, 72 degrees. So good day to be talking to you guys. <laughs> well, the pleasure is ours, sir, as well. Thanks so much for that background and information. Uh, welcome. We also have Mike Berry. Uh, Mike is manager of freight forwarding administration for the Vantech Atati Transport System Group on Elk Grove Village, Illinois. So we've got New York covered and the Chicago area covered. Mike, tell us a little about yourself. Thank you, John. Yeah, as Ramesh said, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk and collaborate with four of us today. Usually I've done a couple of these podcasts and it's just one-on-one, so this should be fun. A little <laughs> bit about me, I started in the industry about 15 years ago. Uh, right out of college, I got my first job with Hanjin Shipping, a steamship line. And I worked there for about a year and then they moved our department to phoenix arizona so i'm from chicago and i was working in chicago and so i didn't accept the job offer in phoenix i stayed in chicago and from there i found myself at a logistics company a small freight forwarder and i started just doing operations so i learned all of these different and directions I learned export operations, import operations, air, ocean. So I was a bit of a floater. And then I landed in exports and I worked my way up and I became the export manager. And I did that for about six years. And in 2016, 
that small forwarder was purchased by Vantech Hitachi, a mid to large size forwarder. And so I've been with Vantech for the last five years and I'm the freight forwarding administration manager at Vantech Hitachi. Wonderful, that's that's great uh, background on you as well. Thanks so much for joining us today, we really appreciate it. Well, let's just start with a kind of a basic question, guys. Kind of give us your view of the state of the industry right now. Right, so Ocean, right, it's a um, hmm, very exciting time to be in the industry. I mean, uh, John, I've been doing this since, what, um, 99, 2000. Uh, I've never seen anything like what's going on right now. So there are a few factors that contributed to it, and I'm sure we'll get into it. But um, it, yeah, it's getting space now. Um, it's, it's golden. You, be, you know, you have to pay top, top, I mean, really top dollar and then also be a little bit lucky to get space. Um, uh -huh. so, so, and this, this trend will continue for a few months and um, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into the more details later on. But the industry right now, um, I mean, you have to be planning ahead and be willing to pay a lot of money. Uh, if not, you know, it's, it's just, um, you know, demand and supply, you won't get on that board if you're not willing to pay the top dollar. Yeah, I'll add the, uh, the supply chain right now, just to give this a little bit of color and kind of a visual, is like kind of that pair of jeans from college, right? You found it in your closet and you tried putting them on and just imagine every link in those jeans, the seam, the zipper, the button, every from A to Z is just stretched to the max. And those jeans are just kind of begging for some reprieve. You know, as you guys are talking, I'm thinking of the song uh, Land of Confusion by Genesis back in the 1980s, I think. Um, yeah, it, it's just it's a perfect storm out there. What are some of the factors that are, are driving this, you know, that's causing the storm to, to occur? Yeah, that's a great question, John. So, I mean, a few factors and let's go back to COVID, right? We knew what happened during COVID, right? That was a you know, some of these countries shut down, ports shut down, uh, vessels went out of rotation. Um, so we, we, we knew that was this buildup because there was not enough vessels and there was no equipment. We had, we spoke about the equipment imbalance. So it started with the COVID of last year. Uh, and then that resulted in not having equipment in China. Uh, so that was two, right? And the, the third factor was the stimulus, right? So we had, um, the Biden administration, they extended the stimulus to what, September. Mm -hmm. So right now what we are seeing is uh, unprecedented buying by the American consumer, right? Because he has all this money and he has a computer and that's not <laughs> a good place to be. He's online, he's buying stuff. <laughs> right, and, right. And this is all driven e-commerce majority. And uh, guess where it's coming from? It's all coming from China or Asia in general. So it, it's those three factors. It's the COVID, the equipment, and and the stimulus because uh, Americans are buying a lot of stuff right now. Yeah, to add to Romesh's point, you're right on the money. I mean, we when we shut down in March and April of last year, China was kind of reopening right around the same time that we were locking down. So their mm -hmm. factories were starting to produce again. And you're right, We our economy was never really shut down because it kept getting propped up with the stimulus. So 
everyone was still buying. Mm-hmm. And once those factories just started filling those orders, volumes came back so heavy that from being at like 25% of capacity to pre-pandemic levels in a very short time, mm-hmm. the U.S. wasn't ready for it. And the ports couldn't handle it. And since then, there really hasn't been any reprieve. So we've never had a chance. You know, there hasn't been a month where we could say, all right, well, we had two or three weeks where volumes were back down 50%. We've had record import volumes for the last 10 months. So they just keep coming. And didn't this happen all after the uh, the steamship lines took some of their vessels out of the uh, the flow as well? In other, in other words, they reduced capacity? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah we, they reduced capacity and, you know, the ports probably laid off workers. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of U.S. companies sh- shut down for a bit, but then things came back so fast mm-hmm. that we weren't ready for it. And... I think it's one of those things where it's going to take a while just because, you know, you can add enough capacity to meet growing demand, but when you're behind the eight ball and you can never catch up, it just takes that much longer to get back to that point where we can handle what's coming in. There was an equipment balance and um, we saw, and I, I don't know if they're still doing this, but some steamship lines were sending vessels back empty just to meet the demand because there's so many containers coming from China and the Far East to the U.S. right now, and there's not enough vessels or space to load those containers, that when they get here to the U.S. and they finally unload after all the port congestion, it's quicker just to send them back and refill them at the premium levels that they're charging for containers because of all the demand versus waiting to load export cargo, which they're not making quite as much money on just due to the uh, demand of imports. Yeah, and, and Ted, if I could add to that on, on the equipment imbalance, right? Um, Pre-COVID, it was uh, one, uh, one against 2.2. So for every one export, we had 2.2, 2.5 imports, right? So it was always an imbalance. That was pre-COVID. But right now, as we see, it's one slash 4.5. So for every one export container, we have four and a half import containers. So it's a, the disparity is huge now. It's almost double pre-COVID. Um, so this and, and, and the, the equipment imbalance is just not just not uh, COVID related. It's also trade related. So. Uh, you know, when the Trump administration, when they had those tariffs that they imposed against China, uh, China retaliated, right? And they imported, uh, they imposed tariffs on U.S. exports. Uh, so that impacted our exports going to China. As a result, we were not getting our containers over. That's where the, the coupon imbalance comes. So it's um, it's a bigger discussion. It's just not the COVID when it comes to the coupon imbalance. It's it's trade and everything else that went into it pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Makes a, that makes a lot of sense. So, so I mean, it's it's always, I, I want to say, well, I guess going back to that chain reaction, it's in your supply chain. Uh, I know I've heard of, you know, because of the congestion out in uh, the ports out in LA, 
and on the West Coast that um, freight is being taken off, say, the train and put on the trucks, which then has caused issues with not having enough trucks to haul the freight and trains not running as full and so on and so forth. So how, what have you seen, uh, especially dealing with your customers on their supply chains? What, what have you, I mean, there's probably been a lot of abnormal situations. Can you just highlight a couple one, a couple of them that uh, are happen quite frequently? Well, we're seeing, yeah, irregularities basically at every link in the supply chain. So you, you bring up a good point, Ted, because um, a lot of times people don't break it down in saying that there are different links. A lot of times you just look at it as, okay, that container's coming from Shanghai, and then it comes into Chicago and it delivers to our customer's door in Northbrook, Illinois, which is a suburb 20 minutes from here. But there are a lot of links throughout that journey, right? It arrives at the U.S. port, then it unloads, and then it's got to move from the steamship lines terminal to the container yard, then it's got to transfer to the rail, then it's, that container is going to move on the rail to the Chicago container yard, and from there, you send in a trucker, they're going to put it on a chassis, and then they'll deliver it. So those specific links, everyone's feeling it. So we're seeing significant delays. You know, when the container unloads in LA, and normally it would just get tossed on a rail car and move to Chicago and be there in a handful of days, if that. Now it's sitting in LA waiting for a rail car because there's so many containers that are trying to get loaded. They don't have enough rail cars. There's an excess of containers and not enough rail cars. So it might be sitting for seven days just before it moves to Chicago. Then once it gets to Chicago, they're having issues, the same thing. They're low on equipment, so they don't have chassis. So containers will get unloaded and just sat in the yard. And normally a trucker can go in and pick it up, throw it on a chassis, but there's so many chassis that are outstanding because all these containers that are being delivered, the truckers haven't gotten back with chassis. So there's equipment shortages. Um, so it's like I said, it's stretched everywhere. And just all those delays that add up become exponential. We're dealing with the situation right now. Um, there are some 2,000 containers that's buried uh, in a pile at one of their terminals. And it's on week six. So it's been six weeks since it's discharged from the rail, right? And it's in a pile there and they can't reach it. Uh, two, 2,000 containers. Uh, just to tell you what's, what's happening in the supply chain and uh, at various points. So I, I know LA has their challenges, but here's what Chicago has. <laughs> yeah, and Ramesh, tell them, I mean, tell them the consequences of that. So. Just the way that's set up is normally that container, it comes into Chicago, you send in a trucker, you send in one of our truckers, they put it on a chassis, we deliver it, no problem. But since we're missing equipment, since there's not enough um, power to go in and get that, it's no fault of ours or the customers, right? Mm -hmm. But the steamship lines are having to charge storage and demerge on those containers for sitting in their yard. And... You said that that one was in there for six weeks, Ramesh? 
yeah, it's now on the sixth week, and we, we, we don't know when we'll get it. Um, but it's it's a day in day out grind, um, and we are not alone. There are two thousand containers there, so somehow I feel better that we are one of that we have a few of two thousand, so we have a bigger voice, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's, that's a that's, that's what we call a bottleneck. <laughs> that, that's that's a, well, yeah. I've heard of, you know bottlenecks before, but that's a that's a pretty big one. Um, yeah. So I guess following that, so you know you got the the elongated supply chain transit time so on and so forth of course that's gonna i mean with all these shortages of equipment drivers uh ocean vessels being able to pour what has that done to pricing and i, I know it, i i've seen where prices of you know triple quadrupled uh they're doing spot pricing they're not no longer doing contract pricing at the moment and is there i mean how long is this going to last so uh, the way i say this is said uh, this is going to last for sure, it's going to last this year, right? Because traditionally, we have the shipping peak season. We start somewhere in June, July, somewhere around there, where retailers start importing uh, stock for the Black Friday and the holidays after that. So that, that season starts in June or July every year. Um, so we are now just getting into that, and we've, all, we've already had this peak since pre-Chinese New Year anyway. Nothing slowed down, right? So. Um, so once this is over, you're probably looking at the end of the year. So this momentum will certainly last throughout the year. But, but regarding pricing, right? I mean, um, this week, I mean, we, we, we do this all the time. So th this week right now, as we speak, I mean, a container from China to the East Coast is about fourteen fifteen thousand $15,000, right? And a container from say China, to the west coast is about thirteen thousand. Uh, but I like to go back to December of, of last year, right? What seven months ago, a container to the east coast was forty five hundred dollars. So we're looking at forty four against fourteen fifteen thousand dollars, huge disparity. And, and a container to the west coast was like thirty eight hundred dollars in December, and today it's about thirteen thousand dollars. So. <laughs> it's it's about four or five times higher than it was in December. Now, if I if I was to go back even further, if I was to go back pre-Chinese New Year, a container to the West Coast was like seventeen hundred dollars, and a container to the East Coast was what what thirty four thirty five. Um, so so, so uh, have just been blown out the blown out of the park. I mean. I, I I hate to be I hate to be a person that's creating a budget or, or did create a budget and is trying to figure out what's going to happen now. Exactly. I've, I've never I never thought I'll certainly I've never seen these kind of numbers, but I never thought I'll see these kind of numbers. And um, and I mean it's just it's it's the free market, right? So if somebody's willing to pay for it, the carriers are going to charge you. Right. Um, and I. I I tell my customers and prospects the same thing. I say, if all of you all stop shipping and that vessel is half full, guess what's going to happen to the rates? The rates will drop magically, right? But unfortunately, they are paying. So mm -hmm. even at these prices, the vessels are overbooked. And um, yeah, that's the free market. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so along those lines, you guys are talking about just the base rates essentially going up as much as four or five times. What about the premiums typically you would have to pay in order to assure yourself space? 
it almost seems like you guys, not you guys, but that the industry is holding customers hostage or demanding a ransom that if you don't pay this ransom, you may not see your your containers making the vessels. Is that true as well? The players are forced to do that. If they don't, we won't get a spot on that vessel. So, I mean, now the shipping lines, they have premium rates. There are some shipping lines, they're calling it diamond rates. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. Out, yeah, diamond <laughs> rates. <laughs> and so they're, they're getting coming up with all these terms, um, prices, and if, if you um, if you don't pay, well, you won't get the spades. So that's what I tell my customers because there are a lot of folks out there who are who are throwing out all these low rates, but they're not really getting spades. Right. So you know we are being very transparent and honest and saying we're not going to waste your time. Here's the rate to get the spades. Uh, if not, I mean it is it is the market. You'll have to wait it out. Yeah, and if um, importers cancel a booking, the, the carriers are keeping those premium rates. And I think you alluded to it, Ted, the premium rate, even if you pay that, it doesn't guarantee you'll move on that vessel. We have seen it where they'll pay the premium rate, and it's just so crazy, and the, the space is so tight that your, your container is still going to move, but it might not move on that vessel. It might get rolled to the next one. So it's it's the wild west right now. Unbelievable. Well, guys, we've been focusing pretty much on uh, on the import side of things. What does this impact have on the exports uh, going out of the country? Yeah, I'll, I'll chime in on that one. I, I'm glad you asked about the exports actually, because everything's really been focused around containerized imported cargo. That's the most affected, but. We've seen it trickle down to all the other modes and points in the supply chain now that exports are feeling it as well. So for our export customers, they're starting to see that if you try to book an ocean export, it's taking two to three weeks now just to get a booking, whereas before you could book it and it would move that week. And that's a lot of the same reasons. It's just the carriers are stressed. They can't provide the equipment that they could as regularly. It's the same thing on the export side. Those containers aren't available like they normally would. Um, the vessels, there's probably not as many vessels right now in rotation mm -hmm. for the same reason. The export is not the lucrative lane. Carriers are focusing on filling their vessels for imports to the U.S. And they do need to return them. They do need to fill them to return back to China, but they don't care as much about the exports. So we are seeing that come through. And then I'll just chime in one more thing, the air freight as well. Air freight on both import and export, it's kind of been interesting to see because with the ocean side, um, with the freight rates going up like four, five times as high as they normally would be, as Ramesh mentioned, mm -hmm. you were starting to see some accounts just start moving things air freight because air freight's always been about that multiple from ocean freight. So if you're going to be paying four to five times more, why not just move your freight air freight and it'll get there within a week versus 40 days or whatever it may be. You but just now, can't cure as much material that way, though, right, Mike? Sorry? 
you can't carry as much material though if you go air freight. I mean, you you wouldn't want to air freight an entire ocean container, would you? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's right. Usually, you're you're going to probably cut your orders down a little bit if you're air okay. freight. But um, yeah, I mean they're they're looking at that. But now we're starting to see that the air freight side is max too. So like I said earlier with the blue jeans, there's no spot where you can really find smooth sailing everything. So right now the air freight capacity is, you know, I was reading something recently where they said it was back up on the import side. It was 42% year over year. So we're back 42% over that from 2020 in May. And then we were right about the same as where we were in May of 2019. So the levels are about normal, but the capacity on the air freight side is still only about 60% of what it was. Mm-hmm. Flights were, were cut. And on the passenger side, uh, flights in rotation are based on customer demand. So since not a lot of folks have been flying, a lot of the passenger flights have been removed. So with 60% capacity and 100% demand, air freight's pretty maxed out as well. And, 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 you know, and they try to compare things to previous history, but gosh, I mean, right now we're in a we're on charter territory. We've never been in, in a situation like this coming back from a pandemic and all of a sudden just open the floodgates. It's interesting. You know, I'm, I, John, I mean, me and John, we, we like thinking outside the box, sometimes a little too far off the box. And what, what, what advice are you giving your clients on a strategy uh, of course, we got, you know, we know what's happening. We, we know it's, you know, even if we throw money at it, sometimes it's not going to solve it. So what what are things that you're suggesting um, to customers that they do to alleviate this and, you know, uh, try to solve some of their problems that they're having now? Mm-hmm. So, so, so right now, I mean, um, the whole thing is planning, right? So what, what, what we're telling our customers is try to brew pre-book this as early as possible, right? So three weeks, four weeks, whatever you can, you know, if, if you have, uh, if you're able to plan the booking process with your suppliers, do that well in advance. Um, not, that, not to say you'll get the space for sure, but we can, we as a provider can plan this out much better, uh, having advance notice. And then it's twofold because when you tell a customer to, to book this four weeks ahead, ahead in the current environment, he does not know what the rate is going to be in four weeks, right? It's changing. So right. there has to be the trust level with the provider. Uh, and thankfully, we have some customers who trust us to do the right thing that they're like, okay, I'll place the booking, um, but I don't know what I'm going to pay. Uh, we'll be able to give some sort of a rough figure what we think the rate will be in four weeks or three weeks, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then and, and then we, we deal with it that way because we try to get ahead of the game knowing what's coming in the next three, four weeks, then we can get ahead with the carriers and try to to get a more secure slot, not to say the price would be better, but at least to get on that vessel. Interesting. So I'm going to say a couple bad words here. Um, inventory and warehousing. Uh, what? <laughs> uh, I mean, those, those are just, inventory always costs money. Warehousing always costs money. You're getting more handling them more, you can damage it more, but 
is that is that a good alternative? I mean, is there some days that maybe you can, hey, if you can get this two sea containers on this ship, do it now and warehouse it and and draw from the warehouse? Absolutely. In the current environment, absolutely. Because what's happening is because the factories in China, they can't cope with, with what's going on because they're out of space in their own factories. And I hear this every day from my customers where, where they say, I need to get it out. Uh, you say, it's one thing, I, I need the merchandise. More than that, my factory has no space to hold all these goods there. That's and that's point. not just one fact. Everybody has the same problem. No, that's a very yeah. good point. I mean, that becomes a cash flow issue too. If they can't get it delivered, they're not getting, right. they're not getting their money on their sell. And boy, I never thought about that. That's right. That's right. That's that's true. Yeah, as long yeah, they need to get they need to leave China so they get paid, right? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you talk about this, you start talking about rotting changes and strategies. Ted, that's that's a great uh, point. I'm curious. So, Mike, you mentioned you know you shift from ocean to air. How that can take care of the air capacity? Does the same thing happen on the domestic side between intermodal and truck? Or between truck and expedite, or between truck and LTL, what happens in different modes as far as being maxed out at, at capacity and then essentially raising their rates as well? Yeah, good question, John. You guys have probably seen it on the trucking side as well. Everything has been going up. So as demand continues to increase and every link is stretched, yeah, we've, we've been seeing costs are rising throughout the supply chain. And, you know, we're always telling our customers, as Ramesh mentioned, you, you have to be flexible. We have to try to, it's a lot of answers that no one really wants to hear because they're not great answers, but right. we have to advance book. We have to build an additional lead time. We have to be flexible and open to premium fees you know, just as visible as we can, but we're kind of running out of solutions. And at some point, it, it just comes down to what we've been saying. We look for solutions anywhere we can, but if you need that freight, you have to pay for it. Yeah. And, you know, we'll look at each mode and we'll see what makes sense. And But they're all kind of getting expensive these days. So we always... Try to hyper communicate and prioritize orders that have to be filled, but we're always looking for the best solution. Hey, hey Mike, to dovetail on that, one thing that just came up here recently was actually from one of your colleagues is looking at moving stuff, not probably to LA, but moving it to the uh, ports on the East Coast or moving it to Mexico and move it in bond in Mexico. Is that I mean, how easy, how easy is that to do uh, with brokers, customs brokers, and all that good stuff? Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting, um, a creative solution. So we we definitely look at going on to the East Coast. As you guys probably know, the West Coast is, if you're coming from the Far East, the West Coast is your fastest and your biggest volume lane. So pretty much everyone is always moving freight into L.A. and Long Beach or Seattle, Tacoma, or even Vancouver, Oakland. But West Coast is normally the fastest and the most affordable route. But given 
the situation over the last 10 months. We have been looking at going all water service into the East Coast. Uh, we haven't really looked into the Mexico solution. That's an interesting one. Uh, you, Once you do that, you're adding in a few variables. You've got to clear customs in Mexico, then you'd have to probably bring it through Mexico, which is kind of a long way to Laredo, and then you'd have to clear customs into the U.S. and then truck it to wherever you're going. So it could be an option. Uh, it kind of depends, too, where the customer is located. And, and, and Ted, you know, what, what's been happening is this, this Mike alluded to this West Coast um, entry point, right, the closest entry point from, from Far East China, right? Um, and what's happened is um, we've seen a lot of customers, importers now, uh, who would traditionally import Midwest or, let's say, the East Coast. They're like, no, no, that's fine. We'll, we'll take it in L.A. And now they're cross-docking it at a warehouse by the Long Beach port, right, L.A. port. And they're trucking it across the country. And, and this is adding additional stress on what you guys do, right, trucking. Um, I mean, I work with a, with an outside third party cross dock operator in LA. He's super busy because he has so many clients doing exactly that uh, cross docking in LA and, and trucking it across the country. I mean, you would you would save a good probably ten twelve days by doing that, but you're paying a lot more having to truck it from LA to uh, the Midwest or the East Coast. True, right? Mm -hmm. I'm curious, guys, I think about this. It used to be, in, at least in the ocean side, essentially there was a, a conference held every May. And then at that time, then the steamship lines offered their market pricing. And then the shippers would then go to market and, and essentially sign a service contract and stabilize their pricing over the length of the next year. Is that going to be yep. a, a thing of the past? Or is that process going to continue at some point here in the near future? So it will continue, but it won't be as important as it was in the past, right? Okay. Um, the last, I mean, typically the last few years, uh, the shipping lines, you know, uh, we've heard this over and over again. They've been, you know, some of them have been losing money. Some of them went under. Uh, the margins were very small. Uh, it forced some people to um, to merge, right? Right. Uh, and so. so it, um, so, but now what, what, what the whole thing has changed that, that that while that contract will be in effect, there'll be a lot of uh, stipulations. So you may have a contract, but there'll be the shipping line would, would have an allotment of containers they're going to give you for a week or a month or a year. Uh -huh. um, so it won't be previously, here's a contract. They would have what we call an MQC, a minimum quantity contract. Right, and the order is good to do anything over that minimum quantity, and the sh and the shipping line was quite happy to take them. <laughs> but now it would change where they would give you a contract and say, you know, we're only going to give you X amount of containers per year. That's it, right? So which means you you'll be forced to go into the spot market anything over than over that. Yeah. Yep. So you're going to have a lot of flexibility then, are you, Ramesh? No, <laughs> it's it's a 
right now it's it's good to be a shipping line it's good to be a carrier <laughs> <laughs> i mean i was looking at something um just the, the other day i mean cma and so and and it happened they released their first quarter numbers they had record years record numbers mm-hmm. um, uh, cma that their first quarter of last year, they did 48 million, and this first quarter, they did 2.1 billion. Oh my God. So they saw a 2,000% increase quarter of last year against quarter of this year, EBIT. Um, so HAPAC went from 127 million to 1.2 billion or 3 billion, somewhere there. Um, so um, yeah, <laughs> it's a good time to be a shipping line. I think so. I, I think so. Yeah, and if I can expand this, so with what's happened in the shipping industry the last few years with a lot of these mergers, so the top ten ocean carriers they control about eighty percent of the global global market. So we, we have that, and I don't think that's very healthy for for anybody. And out of that top ten. The top four control 53% of the global market. Not healthy at all, right? So, and, and that's one of the other reasons why we are in this position. There's not enough players in this market to compete. Right. Well, and it's a hard market to get into, right? I mean, you just, I mean, a truck, like a trucking company, you can go buy a truck and a trailer, but, you know, a, a ship is, I mean, that takes years to build, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, some of these carriers have placed orders for new ships because they see this continuing. You know, they need more ships, and uh, they'll only see the ships in 23, 24. That's how long it takes for them to, you know, acquire these ships. So it's it's a long drawn out game. You're right, absolutely. Yeah, I'll just add yeah. too that normally, you know, we're talking about this now, but if we talk about steamship lines as a business on a regular basis, probably about 90% of the time, it's it's a tough business for steamship lines. We've seen a lot of steamship lines go out of business. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there probably was more competition at one point, but due to it being such a tough business, there's been consolidation, as Ramesh mentioned, and just the major players are the ones that have arisen to the top. But yeah, normally it's the opposite of what we're seeing now. In the past, steamship lines have not been great at allocating their equipment. They usually have too many vessels out there and they can't fill them up. So we, we hear about that a lot in the past. And so they are having their day in the sun right now. And I read something about CMA as well. And it said that, yeah, they had a quarter with 2.1 billion, as Ramesh mentioned, which was a record for them. But I read too that they're not strategizing the way some other steamship lines are, whereas they're trying to maximize profits right now, whereas they may not be signing on big accounts at guaranteed contracts going forward. Mm-hmm. So some carriers might be honoring their their contract rates with customers, and they're not charging 20000 per container like CMA is now. But once things start to normalize again, that may not go in CMA's favor 
since they're not focusing on the future, they're focusing on the short term profits. Right. That's the old economic 101, right? Supply, supply and demand curves, right? Where where's that equilibrium? Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, Ramesh, you mentioned um, one of the things that the customers maybe, I mean, if you call it leverage or whatever you want to call it, uh, buying ahead, you know, three, four, five, six weeks ahead of that container for that uh, ship. But there's a lot of risk in that. I mean, what happens if something happens to production that they they can't meet that, then they're still obligated for that container. So uh, what what other, I mean, what else can they do? I mean, we're kind of like stuck between a rock and a hard place, it almost seems like. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it, uh, I always tell my customers to, to undercoat that. So if their production is, uh, let's say, they, they require 10 containers a week, right? I would mm -hmm. say, let's go ahead and book six a week. So at least we have four, all right, uh, mm -hmm. in case production delay or, or, or the fact it doesn't have material or whatever it is. So I, I try to, you know, navigate through, through that angle. Um, so we won't really book to max capacity because things can go wrong, right? Um, yeah. And, and, and with us, we, we, we have... You know, we, we have pretty good relationship with, you know, with the steamship lines and, uh, and some of them we are working on a daily basis. We might be able to even take that space and give it to somebody else, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So if it's to a point where he can't show up, right, um, we, we might be able to find somebody else, another client who's standing by looking for space, and we might be able to quickly pass it through to him. That way, you know, there is no cancel fee, like, you know, like Mike spoke about the cancel fee, right? So we, we can we can work around things like that. There's a there's a risk factor, but it can be done. Yeah, it kind of brings up uh, again if the the warehouse and inventory on the opposite on the shipping side. It's like you almost kind of kind of build up a little bit of buffer because you want to take advantage of that, right? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, as we wrap up, um, I know you guys mentioned a lot of. A lot of items we talked to a lot of things and um of course if we all had our crystal ball out and it worked I, mine's had a couple cracks in it i'm about ready to throw it away um, <laughs> what, what is the is there a light at the end of the tunnel um and if there is when when do you expect that to uh blossom or or get big enough to we can see it <laughs> yeah yeah, it's one of those things that I think a lot of us have kind of been thinking about. Like, all right, how long is this going to last? And I think there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I liken this to let's let's make an analogy between the shipping industry and a lemonade stand. Okay, so Susie's lemonade stand is just killing it. She's got the best lemonade in the neighborhood, and demand goes up. 50%. Now, Susie's a one-man shop. She can't keep up with the demand. Mm -hmm. So service is going down a little bit. Customers have to wait. It's taking longer to get it. They're paying a lot more. But all those profits are going in the coffers, right? So Susie's going to start adding capacity. She's going to slowly meet demand. She's going to bring in another person. She's going to add 
capital expenditures. She's going to have better equipment. So she'll catch up with the demand because she's making all this money. So eventually we will catch up with the demand. And that's one side of it. I think the other side is we've heard this argument that, you know, Ramesh alluded to this earlier. People, the economy has been propped up with stimulus money and people are at home with their computer. So we've been buying, we've been pumping that money back in and there's been the retail in the U.S. has just been on fire. So we can't meet that demand. But now that we've got half of the population vaccinated and travel and dining is returning, that's the argument we're hearing. People are going to start spending their money on travel, mm -hmm. entertainment. And so the demand on the retail side is probably going to level off a little bit. And so with those two things, I think we will see a light at the end of the tunnel. I think it'll take a little while, probably through the end of the year, and things will start to normalize again. Okay, can, I, awesome. can I get your signature on that in blood? <laughs> Don't quote me. <laughs> this, Mike Perry, on this day. <laughs> yeah. Ted, full disclosure, all my predictions this year went wrong, right? So <laughs> I'm not going to make any predictions because I was wrong all year. <laughs> I think this has been a great conversation um, all the way around. Not any easy solutions out there, which we've obviously discovered by rehashing this through, but some different perspectives and different ways of thinking, I think, that uh, should generate some thought within this, the, uh, the industry in terms of our customers. And we're obviously always there to help. Um, can you guys give us your email addresses so that we have those or our audience has those for future reference? Yeah, mine is mike.berry, so M-I-K-E dot B-A-R-R-Y at hitachi-vht dot com. Yeah, John, so mine is Ramesh, R-O-M-E-S-H dot Gunatilaka, G-O-O-N-E-T-I-L-L. E K E at Hitachi dash VHD dot com. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think we'll probably put that in the in the uh, the uh, synopsis of our uh, podcast also. <laughs> Real mess. Up each other. Well, guys, yeah. thanks so much. I I really appreciate the help and the information, Ted. You as well. And I hope we can do this again sometime. This was outstanding. A lot of fun. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Wheels in Motion podcast. If you have an idea for an upcoming podcast, please send your ideas to marketing at carter-express.com. Until next time.